This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. see so many uh, visitors. It feels like what's happened is that the church has gone to see their fathers and most of the United States and Canada have come to visit us with our father. So that's great. So well done uh, if you're uh, from across the pond and you've got an extra Yorkie. Uh, It's really great to uh, have you with us. And um, we're journeying through a series uh, uh, called Nehemiah about a great work. And we've landed in uh, chapter 4. Let me just bring you up to speed. Nehemiah has been the cupbearer to the king of uh, Persia, the most powerful man around. He hears that the walls of Jerusalem are destroyed and burned with fire. And he weeps and prays uh, for a solution. God points a finger at him and he becomes the solution. He sticks his neck out before the king and says, send me back to Jerusalem can I go back and rebuild the walls? He go back, back and, uh, goes back to rebuild the walls. And then we saw last week in chapter 3 that actually his strategy, his, his strategy was uh, uh, each person to work, as it were, on the gaps in front of their own house. And we talked about how we need to work on the, the discipleship gaps in our own lives. And we do that together in community. And we do that uh, by each closing the gaps in our walls. And that's how God builds a church. So, so that we talked about that's God's discipleship strategy and we talked about uh, a few people who didn't bend their backs and shirkers and stuff like that. But you can get the podcast. I will do it, promise. We're way behind with podcasts. So if you've been missing this and you're waiting for it, we'll do that. And we ended with, with, a, with a verse at the end of uh, chapter 2, actually, that uh, the, the enemies of uh, Nehemiah were incensed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. And we said, that's like Jesus had come to promote our, our welfare. Nehemiah was like that, had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. So, we're going to jump in at chapter 4, and it's a long reading, I apologize. But it will turn up here, and um, hopefully you can follow with me. So, <clears throat> okay, so, Nehemiah, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. When Sambalat, he's the baddie, Sambalat's the baddie. When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the walls, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his wealthy nobles and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? You've got to remember that this wall's been unfinished for 143 years, and they're getting ridiculed. Will they finish in a day? Uh, Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah, he's another baddie, the Ammonite, who was at his side said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down the walls of the stones. And then it's almost, without announcement, Nehemiah breaks in with a prayer. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over to plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or block out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the Lord and his builders. So we rebuilt the wall 
till all of it reached half its height, and from for the people worked with all their heart. And you get all the baddies together then. When Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to the walls of Jerusalem were gone, gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they became very angry. They plotted all together to come up and fight against Jerusalem, stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people of Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. There is so much rubble that cannot be, we cannot rebuild the wall. And also our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there amongst them. We'll kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, so they tell them again and again, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore I stationed some of the people at the lowest points of the wall and the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears and bows. And, they, and after I surveyed the position, I stood up and the rest, uh, in front of the rest of the nobles, oh sorry, and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your families and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. And then jump into verse 19. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we're widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. Lord, we just pray as we look at this passage of opposition and ridicule and contempt and fear, tiredness, sense of will we ever get it done. Lord, I, I pray that you'd put us in the story, that we'd understand those times when opposition comes against us. And I pray that through this response of Nehemiah and the people, we'd learn how to respond when tough times come, how to respond when pressure comes. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd keep us as a people that keep on going to the end. Amen. Okay, so there's a picture here, a little quiz for you, uh, Josh who's visiting, and Zach know the answer to this question. What is that river? Colorado? The Colorado River. Okay, it's flowing through the Grand Canyon. But what you notice about the Colorado is it's cut this massive canyon over a period of time, and, and it's white water. There's, uh, I think, 85,000 cubic feet per second, if you want the discharge. Sorry, I'm a geography teacher. That is a lot of water. Masses of water flowing through the Grand, uh, the Grand Canyon. You know, so much so that you can whitewater rafting. And I, I, while I was researching this, I'm seeing all these great pictures of whitewater rafting. I think, I must go. I love whitewater rafting. I used to canoe when I was younger. Um, so that's the Colorado, Colorado River in the Grand Canyon. Full of energy, full of momentum, keeping going. This river, you know the answer. What's this river? It's the Colorado. It's the Colorado, as it crosses the border, out there, you can see the mountains, the southern Rockies in the distance, as it crosses the border into Mexico from the United States. It never makes it to the sea. And, and I thought about that uh, image uh, when I read an article some years ago about the Colorado, and I thought, actually, spiritually, a lot of us are like that. We can start with lots of energy and lots of momentum and we're going something and we can cut through stuff and it feels like, whoa, it's a white water, white water raft ride of a spiritual life. But one of the sad things 
is so many don't make it to the end. We just run out. What happens with the Colorado River, and I don't want to set up a thing between Mexico and the United States, is but basically the southern cities of the United States, they abstract the water for drinking and for irrigation and for industry. And so the, 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 kind of the water's diverted from, ultimately, you could say, what its true purpose is. Uh, and what I want to talk about uh, this, this morning is I want to talk about keeping going. I want to talk about holding on. I want to talk about persevering. In other words, we're getting to the end. Perseverance is, is described as not giving up, not running out, not running into the sand, not making it to the sea. It's about not giving up. It's about holding on. I love that picture. I, I don't know if you saw those climbers that climbed Yosemite. It's all American stuff today. I must have been in the spirit. Um, those guys that climbed Yosemite, did anyone see those? Last? It was like a two months ago. And they climbed the, the, the big wall of Yosemite. And there was one guy who was struggling to make a move, and it took him a week to make the move. He's just doing, I'm, I, I won't demonstrate because I don't know what the move looks like, but his fingertips were raw, trying to get this little tiny freehold, move across. He, he, he tried again and again and again for a whole week, but he never gave up. And they climbed it, the first free climb of Yosemite. It's about holding on. It's the persistence to do something and keep doing it until the end even when the going gets tough. It's about being a father to the end. It's about being a Christian to the end. It's about being a, a, a good husband, a good wife to the end. It's about keeping going to the end. It's about not letting the, the, the other things of this world abstract your energy spiritually so you never make it to your goal. And so what I want to talk about is what do you do when the pressure comes? Like in Nehemiah, the, the pressure comes. And actually I want you to say, I want you to understand that when pressure comes, you shouldn't be surprised. Uh, we're not one of these churches that teaches, if you love Jesus, nothing bad's going to happen to you. We're not one of these churches that teaches, if you love Jesus, you're just going to have health and wealth and prosperity. I'm sorry, because actually Jesus loved the Father and he was crucified. And Paul loved, the, Paul loved Jesus and he was, he was whipped and sh- uh, shipwrecked and damaged. We, we don't believe that. In fact, Peter says, don't be surprised when tough stuff comes. Is it there, Andy? Yes. Do not be surprised that at the heated trial you're suffering as if something strange were happening. Opposition is part of the deal. Pressure is part of the deal. Uh, feeling your life being t- pulled in a million directions, abstracted to loads of different places is part of the deal. And the challenge is, are we going to make it to the end? So what I've got then is, it, from this passage, and, and, I, and I have kind of, squeezed it around a little bit to, to, to find four nice points. Because normally I don't give you points at all. You just have to follow me and make it up as you go. But a four, four nice points. I basically observed four enemy tactics. Four enemy tactics in this, in, this, in this passage that we read. And I've got four perseverance tactics to counter that. Are you okay? So I could have called it weapons and tactics. But, so it's, the sermon's called Holding On. Okay. Uh, so this is the first tactic. We read right at the beginning, the first tactic is ridicule. What are those feeble Jews doing, says Sambalat? Can they restore the wall? Actually, when it says, well, they offer sacrifices, the, kind of, the sense there is, can they pray the wall into being? Can they bring the stones back to life? And then uh, Tobias says, even a fox climbing on it would break down the wall. Now, I don't know what, if you've ever faced ridicule in your life, if you've ever faced the pointing finger that says, 
you're not good enough. I mean, one of the worst things uh, that, that you can do, and, and I, I guess I might need to probe my kids after, one of the worst things is, is to say, you know, you know you're so like this, or you're so like that, or, you know, the, I, I've never had this said to me, but I know lots of people, is, I wish you'd never been born. That you're just not up to it. You're just not good enough. I, I know Damaris pulls my leg and she says, basically, that, you know, she feels, acts as if, or she, I don't I hope you're joking, that my love's conditional on her doing well at school. And if she does well, you know, A, is that all? Is that really all? You know, A star, only good. And, and the sense of saying you're not good enough, it is all over. I'm not just, I'm just quoting me, but I'm saying in our lives, we, we have people telling us all the time we're not good enough. All the time through school, you're graded and said, this is who you are, this is who you are, this is who you are. And, and all the time you're told you need to do better, you need to do better, you need to do that. And in your life, you constantly are told and you constantly feel, I'm not making it. I'm not good enough. I feel I'm fa- failing. And so what happens is the enemy tactic here comes right into that and points right into that and says, what are you feeble Christians doing? God first, you're pathetic. You're useless. Can you really think you can make a difference in this town? Do you really think that where you live and where you live uh, and how you talk to your friends at work is going to make a difference? God first, you're really useless. Do you think you can build a church? Look, even if a fox climbed on God first church, it would fall over. Yeah, it's that pathetic. Or even you can feel it more where, where actually you have an accuser uh, 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 and a liar and an adversary. Those words are uh, actually uh, adversary is, is Satan, uh, accuser is the devil. Yeah, so those words, accuser, that's what he does. He's the, he's the king of ridicule. He's the lord of ridicule. And he loves to whisper in your head about your life, well, I'm really sorry you're a failure. You know, when sin comes calling, you can never stand up. You know that habit you've got? You know that way of thinking? You know the things you look at, the things you say, the emotional outbursts you have? every time I come with that temptation, you fall. You are feeble. And you know God is really ticked off with you. He's really unhappy with you. He's really displeased with you. We talked about that at the weekend away, how we can often feel, God, you're far away, or you don't love me, or, or you don't listen, or you're not a father. And we're told he's just unhappy with you. God's abandoned you. He doesn't love you. And you know all those big dreams, those white water Colorado rafting dreams that you thought you were going to do for God? It's not going to happen. Just get real. Come on, Howard, you're 55 now. It's about time you just settle for something else. And that, can you relate to that? Does that happen? I mean, some of you maybe have renounced the lies as we talked about and you believe the truth. But actually the enemy comes in and your thoughts come in and the world comes in and says, you're just not good enough. Now it's interesting and it feels like in this series that that God's bringing us back to the the same thing. Because the perseverance tactic to handle this is prayer. What they do when the ridicule comes, Nehemiah almost unannounced just says, we've got to pray. Hear us, oh God. Hear us, oh God. I saw a tweet the other day uh, from a guy called Martin Reeves, and he says, prayerlessness 
is functional atheism. I thought, oh, Jesus, I need to pray some more. And then the voices come in, you're useless, you don't pray enough. You know, so I'm going through all this, but I think, God, God, I need to pray. They are, their first reaction was to pray. Their first reaction when, when the criticism come that was, you're never good enough, you're never going to make it, look at how you mess up. The first reaction is to pray. Sometimes that prayer is repentance. When you know that you failed again. Father, I'm sorry. I've failed again. I've messed up again. I've gone there again. But come by your spirit and make me strong again so I can stand against the enemy when it comes. That's what it says in Ephesians. Or you might, or the prayer might be, no, I don't believe those lies. It's not true that you've abandoned me, that you are my loving father. That you are there for, that you do care, that you're not going to let my, my life or my enemies uh, overrun me. But that's what they do. They, they learn to pray. And we need to keep our foot firmly on that pedal. Because if we don't, we'll find that we don't make it to the end. It says, he that endures to the end will be saved, which is scary. But prayer keeps the water flowing in the channel. So that's the first one. They're quite simple, really. Second one, threats. Love the picture, sorry. I don't know who that is. It's probably a Leeds United fan. Sambalat, Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the people of Ashdod were very angry and they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem. So what's happened is this is going to level up now. This isn't just, we're going we're gonna to whisper that you're no good and we're going to mock you and we're going to laugh. Oh, what can you do? Are you going to build it? This is suddenly, ah, this is getting serious because what had happened in between, after the prayer, it says they got halfway. Hadn't been built in 143 years, they got halfway. The whole thing got, only took 50 odd days, which is amazing. But let's say they'd gone for three weeks and they got halfway. Suddenly, the enemy's panicking. You know what happens is if you're doing well spiritually, you're more likely to be in the crosshairs. If you're already gone, if you're already kind of given up, you're already chilled out, busying yourself with everything but Jesus, the enemy doesn't need to bother you, you're already out of the game. But if you're building, you're in the crosshairs. And what happens is they got very angry and they said, right, we're going to come and take you down. Now in this country, we don't feel those, those threats quite as much. We don't get that. But actually, I know that actually to stand and be a Christian in, this, in society is harder these days. It's much harder than it, used, it was. If you say you're a Christian, and I've said this many times, people will automatically think you're a bigot. They're all, automatically, they might threaten you. You know, there's a sense of, if, you know, the, the lady that wore the, the nurse that, that, that wore the cross, uh, the little cross chain, uh, uh, who was, was dismissed from her job. That's a threat, isn't it? If you're going to stick your head up above the parapet, you might lose your job. If you've got this view on this relationship, or this sexuality, or this thing, or this sin, man, we might close you down. Well, you, you know, you take away your charitable status. Or all those kind of things that they feel that the, the, the pressure that they can take on us. Now, it's interesting what the response was, and I like it because it fits with where we went a few weeks ago. The response that, to the threats, the perseverance tactic number two was guard your heart. We pray to our God, so there he goes again. They're praying a lot. Let, you know, let's underline that three times exclamation marks, pray. We posted a guard. So they didn't just pray, they took some action. They posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. 
and we uh, looked at a few weeks ago at the weekend away. Above all else, it says in Proverbs, guard your heart for everything else flows from it. It's, it's when, the, when the threats get into your heart that, that, you're, really, that you're really under pressure. Uh, we planted a church in Manchester, Naomi and ourselves and a few others in this room. And one of the guys that worked with me at the time was a guy called Wayne Nolan, South African guy. Uh, he, was, he did the op stuff, the, the similar stuff to Harold's doing right now. And, um, and he lived in, in Salford, so it's inner city Manchester. And I remember one time they were having a, a prayer group, a prayer meeting. We didn't have G1Cs. It was much more basic then in those days. We weren't half as clever as we are now. And, um, and they're having a prayer meeting. And what they heard is they started to hear the sound of glass being smashed. So they went outside and they saw a bunch of scallies, they call them in Manchester, young teenagers, if you're not from Manchester, smashing the windows of cars up, up the road. And they'd gone through a few neighbours and then they started to smash the cars, the windows of the cars of the people in the group. So Wayne comes out, you know, he's a big, he's not big, but South African men think they're... <clears throat> so he comes out and he, I mean, he's nowhere near as big as Tom, so... And he comes and he says, you've got to stop that, kids. And then one of them, stand up, Tom. No, he wasn't a big... <laughs> That's a ball like that. One of them pulled a screwdriver... This is Wayne. He can be Wayne. He pulled a screwdriver and put it to your preterose throat and said, if you do tell anyone, we'll come and kill you. Thank you, Tom. (laughs) I I always wanted to do that. (laughs) No, Tom, no, no. But imagine that. You're doing your G1C in Cheltenham. I know it doesn't happen in Cheltenham. But maybe it does. But you're doing that and then suddenly you've got this. If you tell anyone, we're going to kill you. Remember, he came in the office the following day, and he was still white. I mean, he was white anyway. He was white as African, but he was white. <laughs> Sorry, was that a bad comment? Well, I thought... <laughs> he was pale. Sorry. I, I, I thought he might have thought he was a black guy because from South Africa. He's a white guy from South Africa. He, I mean, he was pale, shocked. And I said, what happened? He said, he said my heart has not stopped racing. And he said, you know, I said, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this anymore. And it was almost like, I don't want to live here anymore. And what happened was, that got to me. And it was like this threat came. And what happened is, in one sense, we didn't guard our hearts that well. We just let the threat find its way in. Now, I don't think he ran away, but within six months he'd gone back to Africa. And within a year and a half we'd moved to Cheltenham. But it got under the skin. And maybe you've never felt that. But you've definitely felt those times when the threats have been in your face and you thought, whoa. So what did they do? They guard their heart. And I love this verse. Sorry, I don't know where it's from. I wrote it down. I haven't put what it is. That word is shalom, the peace of God. Somebody might know where it is. I think it's Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always, I say rejoice. Don't be anxious. Man, we were anxious. Do not be anxious about everything, but in every situation with prayer, oh, there we go again, with prayer and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And I love this. And the peace of God, which calms your beating heart, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. So I think there's some things here about how to guard your heart real quick. 
First is rejoice. And Paul says, and I say to you again, rejoice. What? Rejoice in the difficult circumstances? You're ridiculous. They're in prison, aren't they? Paul's in prison. He's been, it is Philippians, I'm sure it is now, because he's in, he's in prison. The jailers uh, uh, put him in prison. They're, they're, he's threatened with court case. And what are they doing in the evening, at the night time? You know the story. They're praising God, singing hymns. Now, it's amazing that the, the, there's an earthquake and the dungeon and that opens. But actually, I know people that are in prison for years and years following Jesus and they still keep praising him. And I know for us, we face the tiniest little pressure and we moan and we grumble. Rejoice. Don't be anxious. Jesus says, do not worry about your life because tomorrow's got enough worries. So don't be anxious. And thanksgiving. One of the things when you feel under pressure is to say, God, I thank you. I thank you for saving me. I mean, Naomi's father-in-law, my, uh, my father-in-law, Naomi's uh, dad, is brilliant at that. He'll say, thank you that I'm alive. Thank you you gave me life. I've got nothing to thank God for. Thank you that you gave me life. Thank you that I'm part of a family. Thank you that I've got health. Thank you that, that you've saved me. Thank you that I've got great kids. Thank you that I've got a brain to think about. Thank you I've got a mouth to praise you. Thank you I've got money to give away. And he just like, and he goes. And after he's prayed, you think, wow, the world's great. Because we haven't developed that, and there's a spiritual discipline of thankfulness that we need to, to get, about, get to. And then the last thing is, and the peace of God. So when you've done that, rejoice, joy of the Lord is my strength. And thanksgiving, Lord, you're so good and gracious. Then there's something about this shalom, this sense of God's peace that just settles on you and guards your heart. That's how you do it. Tactic two, three, we need to rush. Number three. Enemy tactic number three, fatigue. The people of Judah says the strength of the laborers is giving out. One of the things that you find if you, uh, we're, as we're transitioning from a church plant to a church, who's been here, uh, let's just do a quick survey, who's been here for five years since like, you've been five years. Okay, well done those people. One, two, there's three of my kids, <laughs> and then Tom, uh, and then Paul and their kids, and Josh. So, so, Oh, and Stan, sorry, I didn't see you there, Stan. Yeah, so, so if you've been doing church plant for five years, uh, you, I, there's times you just think, oh, I bet you, maybe Tom doesn't because he's full of grace and truth. <laughs> but I, I think, oh, I just don't want to come out again on a Sunday and move equipment. I'm just tired. I don't want to sort it all out again. I, 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 can we just have a sun? I mean, it's quite good that we get the Sundays off occasionally because of the festival, isn't it? But, you know, but you can get like, oh, I'm tired. And you all think, oh, let's have a weekend away. Oh, yeah, Jesus, I just, oh, I'm tired. But actually, that becomes a mindset, doesn't it? So I know that, that I went to see some people this week uh, who's struggling with their marriage, and uh, I just felt, oh, I don't want to go. I'm tired. I'm tired. It's exhausting trying to make progress with these lovely people, and and that you know. But I'm thinking it's their lives, and 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 so happens fatigue just gets in. Oh, I'm just too tired. I'm just too busy. You know, I've got something more important to do. You know, I've got that box set of Lost to look. I've got you know. We talked about that. I've got the 15th version uh, series of Games of Thrones to watch, or you know, I've got to have some dinner with my friends, or you know, I need a weekend away, or just. And we can just get fatigued. The strength of the laborers is given out. You might feel that. 
What's the answer to you feeling fatigued? I sometimes think it is to rest. And if you don't know how to Sabbath and recreate, then there's a spiritual discipline you need to do. But some of us are not short of free time. That is not the... I mean, if you've got four kids, you know, or one little youngster, you, you might feel short of three, three times a month. But most of us are not short of free time. We've got plenty of free time. The problem is that when we're in that free time, we don't know how to rest. We're chasing Twitter and Facebook and on the this and doing this and... We don't know how to rest in God. But actually the tactic that fatigue actually that they do is not rest, but it's remember. Remember. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. That phrase, great and awesome, is the thing he praised, Nehemiah praised, right at the beginning of chapter 1. God, you're great and awesome. Remember. I'm tired, but God is great and awesome. God is great and awesome. Remember that. And actually, we can so easily think that God has forgotten us. I love this from Isaiah. Sorry, I, I should have put the reference. Isaiah 49, it says, The Lord, Zion has said, that's like the church is Jerusalem's, oh, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord's forgotten me. But God butts in and says, Yet can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have compa- no compassion on the child she has born? It's a, what type of question? It's a rhetorical question. Don't be ridiculous. But, even he says, though she may forget, God says, I will not forget you. So first of all, God remembers us. When you feel tired, God remembers us. He says, I have engraven you on the palms of my hands. And I love this, it's your walls are ever before me. I don't know if the people of Nehemiah had read Isaiah, but I bet they thought, no, God hasn't forgotten us. We're tired, but we can remember us. We're going to remember him. He's not forgotten us. His walls, he's concerned about what we're doing. His walls and the project is ever before me. Let's jump in the New Testament. It says in Hebrews uh, 12, 2, about remembering. Let us run with, say the word, perseverance. The race marked out to us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and finisher. But it's really the starter and the ender. The one who's at the source and the one who makes it to the sea. It is the founder and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy, rejoice in the Lord always. There's joy even in the in what happened. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down. There's rest at the right hand of the throne of God. And then it says, consider him. I was thinking, I was looking for a translation that said, remember him. (laughs) But it didn't. But consider looks, it's really close, isn't it? Consider him. Remember him who endured such opposition. That's Nehemiah and his people. That's us. Such opposition from sinners that, say it with me, you will not grow weary and lose heart. The best way to If you're tired of doing the spiritual life, the best way is to remember Jesus and say, He is wonderful. He's amazing. He died for me. He endured the cross for the joy inside of Him. And He sat down. And I can enter that rest. And I'm not going to grow weary. 
I'm going to keep on going. I'm not going to lose heart. So if you're tired, what we're going to do uh, in a moment, I've got one more point, but we're going to break bread. And does anybody know what Jesus says about breaking bread? There's a clue in what we're talking about. But Do this in often as you drink it. Sorry, I've added an extra emphasis that I wasn't asking. In, Paul was right, in remembrance of me. So when we do this, I'm going to take the, um, take the bread out. It's, when we do this, and we break the bread, it's basically saying, this is going to give you energy. It's food for the soul. If you're growing weary and tired, and you feel under pressure, then remember him and eat life and forgiveness and grace on, on us. We'll do that in a moment. Just got one more. Enemy tactic four. Despair. This is where you get to at the end. After ridicule and threats, after feeling like uh, I'm, I'm tired, what you end up is you end up in despair. Depression is all over. I read an article the other day, and uh, it was a funny uh, sort of quote. The guy uh, is a guy from, um, I think it's from New England, actually. He was a church pastor. And uh, one of the guys in the church said, do you ever think about quitting doing the job you're doing. And he said, yeah, almost every week. Ah, you probably at times feel, oh, I'm just done. I remember talking to a, a church leader, I won't say where, and he said, I just, I'm just tired of this job. And, and church leaders get it, but so does everyone else. I'm just tired, I've just had enough. Nothing's moving, nothing's changing, nothing's getting built. Our enemies are all around us. There was so much rubble. Look at the broken marriages, look at the lives in a mess, look at the sin, look at the issues, look at the lack of salvation. There's so much rubble. Our enemies say, before you know it, we're going to be right there, and you're done. Then what happens is it gets in the people. So the enemies say, and then the Jews, that's the people who live nearby, say, well, you know... Wherever you turn, you're just beaten. And then it presses on, doesn't it? It says, they came to us ten times over and said, no, you're just beaten. And they sense of it cannot change. And I don't know what you're like and whether you have what, what uh, St. John of the Cross calls dark nights of the soul, where you just, maybe at night, but you just think there's no, there's no way forward, there's no breakthrough, there's nothing. Now, it's good to go and get medication and we're good with all that. But actually, there's a sense where you just, there's a spiritual thing like a heavy blanket that just wants to squash you down. Is, that, is there a picture of a guy with a hammer? What's the tactic? I like this one. Fight. You think, I can't, I'm exhausted. I've got no energy But what he says is fight. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord is great and awesome. And fight. This is Father's Day for you. Fight, men, for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. The the biggest gap right now in the church in the UK is where the enemy comes in is in our families. I said this to you a few weeks ago. I was with a bunch of pastors and they, they said, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I'm dealing with six, seven, eight, ten, fifteen marriages. Families in a mess. It's, that is where it starts. It doesn't end there. 
It doesn't end with us playing happy families, but it does start there. And fathers, I just want to encourage you, and sons and daughters and wives, let's fight for these. So many times I'm talking to people about their marriage and they say, I'm done. Just despair just crushes them down and they think it's better to run away. But the Spirit of God is saying, put some fight in us. Come on, let's fight for these things. And Nehemiah is always brilliant. You, never, you think, well, I'm doing it on my own. He says, don't worry. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, let's gather. There's community. The trumpet used to blow and they'd say, somebody's under pressure. Let's gather. Let's be with them. Let's give them some love. And at that point, our God will fight for us. Let me just finish with a verse that just felt appropriate when we talked about making it to the end. Paul's right at the end of his life. He's writing to his son in God, the one he's fought for, to bring him through into leadership in, in Ephesus, Timothy. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. If you give yourself to God, you're going to get poured out. You're going to get tired. You're going to get, feel empty. That is what it's like. If you just sit and feed yourself, you might not, never feel like that. But you look, it says in Psalm, oh, I mustn't preach another sermon, but it says in Psalm 74, doesn't it? I think it says, I, when I looked at the prosperous, my foot almost slipped. Their life seemed great. But that's not we, what we've been called for. We have been called to pour ourselves out, to keep flowing, to keep going as an offering for God. And then he says this, I have fought the good fight. You know this verse. I have, it's the only race worth running. I've run hard, this is the message translation, I've run hard to the finish, believing all the way. And all that's left now is the shouting. God's applause. Guys, when we face pressure, we must pray. Do you remember what they were? Let's see if you remember. First one is pray, second one is Guard your heart. Thank you. Third one. Remember. The fourth one. Fight. Okay. Even I forgot them when I preached the sermon. <laughs> Whoa. It's easy, isn't it? Let's hold these truths. God, we're going to pray. Let's stand. Guys, why don't you come back? Just quietly in your heart now, pray. You just tell God where you're at. Tell him what you're thinking. If you've lived this week under whispering voices of ridicule, if you feel in your workplace you're boxed in or in your life there's just the threats, if you feel exhausted, you just think, I've just tried and nothing's changing. I'm giving up. And let's let the joy and the goodness and the grace of Jesus come to us. Let's remember him. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.